San Diego's talk radio leader, 760 KFMB presents It's Your Money and Your Life. For the next hour, Richard Musio and Joe Vecchio will educate and inform you on matters related to your financial future, your life, and your leisure. Now, with It's Your Money and Your Life, here are Richard and Joe. All right, everybody. My name is Joe Vecchio, your co-host, announcer, and producer, coming to you from KFMB Studios with 50,000 watts of power. We're heard not just in San Diego County, but Orange County, LA County, up the coast of Seattle on a good night, down to Cabo, out to the desert. If you download the app for 760 KFMB or tune in radio, you can hear the show on any device as it airs. And, of course, all these podcasts are commercial-free on iymoney.com. Now time to introduce the main man of the hour. He's a CPA extraordinaire, an accomplished marathon runner, a lecturer, an author, and a family office expert advising several high net worth families. His name is Richard Musio. Richard, good evening. How are you tonight? Doing great, Joe. <laughs> it's always great to be here. Yeah, we've got another show loaded for Bear. Uh, we are honored because uh, on the line from New York, uh, we have a reporter for the Wall Street Journal. He's an expert in, in cryptocurrency. He's been there 25 years as a reporter and editor in the, in the financial reporting and whatnot. He's a co-author of a few books, uh, one being The Age of Cryptocurrency. And the truth machine that's coming out in February. I guess this is all about uh, cryptocurrency. And his name is Paul Vigna. Paul, welcome to the show. Hi, fellas. How you doing? Excellent. Doing well, thanks. Excellent. And we also have a guest in studio, we right, We sure Joe? do. Amanda Johnson. She is a cryptocurrency expert and author. And um, and you're she, with you're with Dash Digital Currency, right, Amanda? That's correct, Richard. Okay. Outstanding. So, um, uh, Paul, let's start with start with you. When did you start covering cryptocurrency? Oh, uh, about the spring of 2013 was when I started doing it, and we'd probably heard about it. I'd heard about it a little bit earlier, and initially I was extremely opposed to it. In fact, I was flat out against it. Uh, I remember the first time someone suggested we write about it, I just I said, no, I said, we're not going to do that. <laughs> that is some kind of crazy online scam and we are not going to put that online scam in the Wall Street Journal. Uh, no way are we doing that. Yeah. And then what happened? <laughs> uh, then what happened was just, yeah, it was one of those things that was starting to permeate. And, and I just started seeing more and more references to it and started reading a little bit more. And I finally thought, all right, well, you know, I, I guess I started getting a little bit curious. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then I started thinking, well, maybe this is something... You know, I, I don't think I believe in it, but maybe we should at least write about it. Mm -hmm. And it just it kind of started like that, a little bit after a little bit more and a little bit more. And uh, by the summer, I remember actually I went to a, a Bitcoin conference here in the city, and it was the first time I had kind of seen a lot of people that were involved in Bitcoin and been around them and talked to them. And, and I remember just coming back and, and remarking about just the, the energy it was the, the the energy and the enthusiasm and the ideas that were being thrown around and then it just you know i i realized that this was you know whether or not this is you know the payment option that's going to change the world or whatever than that uh from my point of view as someone looking to tell stories i realized it was a great story all right well let me ask you and amanda as both uh, who is satoshi nakamoto have you ever met him who is this guy or guys or is it just a, a fictitious because that's the mysterious thing to me is who's who started this thing no one seems to know and who's running it no one seems to know and who do you sue if you lose sort your like money a, sort of like our country joe nobody seems to know who's running yeah it, and, if, anyway. uh, and who do you sue if you uh, if you lose your money so those are some questions on my mind uh, so if you and amanda would like to address those have well, I'll, so let actually, a, I'll let Amanda go first. Yeah. Let's get her in here. <laughs> yeah. hey, Amanda, quickly, uh, real quickly, one-minute well, one version about your background and how you found your way into the cryptocurrency world. 
Sure. Uh, I have been studying and writing about cryptocurrency since late 2014. I started out writing at Bitcoin Magazine and moved on to uh, several other publications. In time, I started my own cryptocurrency news series to bring crypto reporting to a place that it didn't have a lot of exposure at the time, which was YouTube. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I started a show called The Daily Decrypt that ran through 2016. And then since late 2016, I have been working exclusively for Dash in a PR capacity. Okay. Mm -hmm. So in terms of uh, who is Satoshi Nakamoto, who's running the show, as, as you say, Joe, mm-hmm. actually, it would not matter if we knew who he was. We couldn't sue him, for example, because uh, all he did was write the code. Okay. And the code only works if people choose to install it on their home computers or, you know, data center computers, wherever they're running it. And so Satoshi may well not be running a single computer that runs Bitcoin or any other cryptocurrency. He just wrote the code. Okay, so he's the originator. But but so but who is operating and running it? I mean, there's no there's no uh, board of directors. There's no CEO, right? Oh, that depends on the cryptocurrency, actually. So the so, way all of them work, basically, is each of them is their own network that runs on top of the internet at large. Right. So you may have uh, the Dash network is made up of about 4,500 different computers. Okay. Uh, the Bitcoin network is made up of many thousands of computers mm-hmm. and, and on and on with all of these other cryptocurrencies. And, and so the way each of them works is everyone running a computer for that network talks to each other to make sure that everyone agrees at all times on the state of the ledger. Well, it sounds like a communal bank where everyone's just throwing their money in, but but who's the, there's no administrator on, on any of these, or, or some do and some don't? Or. So the reason there's no need for an administrator is that every transaction that's recorded in the ledger is made publicly mm-hmm. and making it perfectly auditable. And because it's secured by a form of math called cryptography, it's basically like a self-executing uh, accounting system whereby we can... We can keep tabs on it and make sure that it's working the way we believe it does by just looking at the ledger. But yeah, you, I, w- I was presenting at an accounting conference, and we may be running up on a break, and I was speaking about this. Well, shall we say that w- how different the accountancy profession is going to look, say, in 10 years because of this thing called blockchain. So, for example, the, mm, things, that right. audit, the things that auditors do now, which is audit transactions, it's going to be rendered moot by blockchain. Right, but let's, People will simply audit the process. Let, let's, but let's get into blockchain in, in a little bit. Okay. I, wanted, I wanted to stay focused on these cryptocurrencies. And by the way, uh, Paul, you may have, uh, uh, we asked Amanda before the show uh, about the number of cryptocurrencies out there, and she says 1,500. Is that the number that you have? Yeah, it's about that. Um, It is about that. Amanda, you're absolutely right about that. Uh, The thing I would add to that, though, is, you know, far, far fewer than that number have any real kind of of user base behind them or any momentum behind them. Mm -hmm. Uh, Maybe a couple dozen that have any kind of real community supporting them. And I I personally would argue that probably less than, than 10 have any real chance at becoming any kind of large, you know, mainstream-ish mm-hmm. uh, online currency. That, that's just my personal opinion. Okay. But, yeah, there's, you know, the, I mean, the, the thing of it is this, all of these are basically computer programs, and anybody can take the original code that, which is from Bitcoin, which is all open source software, and alter that code, alter that program, and launch their own currency. Hmm. So 
anybody can launch one, which is why you have so many of them. The, the trick then is actually building something that people find valuable and want to use, and, and that's a very different proposition. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, getting back to the, the, the administrator, now, now Amanda just said that uh, everything's transparent, all these transactions, are, everyone can see them in, a, in one of these uh, bit, uh, cryptocurrency networks. But you also can hide your identity as uh, the person conducting the transaction, right? So the accounts on the ledger, and actually the ledger is the blockchain. Right. Okay. So those terms are interchangeable. Okay. Ledger so the and ledger blockchain. Is the blockchain. Okay. Yep. Totally interchangeable. That was going to be one of my questions. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so each network then has its own blockchain. Okay. But that's my problem. I've, I mean, you can't identify the person or persons involved in a yeah. transaction, right? So the well. way that an account works on a blockchain is through what's called a cryptographic address, which is a long series of numbers and letters. Mm -hmm. And that's the only way that an account can be tracked on the ledger, which, of course, is is different than tracking an account the way banks do, which Mm -hmm. is, you know, your name, your your numbers, your picture. And so depending on the cryptocurrency you're talking about, there, there are optional privacy like, okay, so I'm getting too far ahead of myself. What I mean to say is, if I knew your cryptographic address, Joe, mm-hmm. and you were using a completely uh, traceable cryptocurrency, such as Bitcoin, I could look on Bitcoin's blockchain, look up your address, Joe, and see how much you had in that address. Can you identify me, though, and know my name and, and where I am and all that? Or? From the blockchain alone, no. But See. if I had ever sent you a payment, Joe, or if you had ever sent me a payment, yeah. mm-hmm. I would know that for a certainty. Okay. And so there are actually businesses cropping up around the world uh, called uh, basically blockchain analyzers. And they're making it their entire business model mm. to try to identify real world people with mm. addresses. Anyway, we've got to take a break right there. We're going to come back with Paul Vigna with The Wall Street Journal and Amanda Johnson, a cryptocurrency expert, right after this. Hang on. All right, we're back with Paul Vigna with the Wall Street Journal. He's in New York, in San Diego. We have Amanda Johnson, cryptocurrency expert. And getting back to my question uh, about administrator or law, if there is a discrepancy in, it, in financial transactions, there's always, there's always a discrepancy at some point in time. If someone promises to pay you Bitcoin and they, it doesn't show up in your who do you, how do you recover or, or, or do you? Well, uh, the, the, whole, the, whole, the whole point of Bitcoin is that it is this, program that runs that that is sort of self-generating and the idea is that because these transactions are cryptographically confirmed once a transaction is entered into bitcoin's blockchain and confirmed and recorded it it is done for all time there is no question that it, it was it was there and that i sent you bitcoin or you sent it to me um so the the kind of thing you're talking about it, it is you don't need to arbitrage it. Like once the transaction is there and recorded, it's there and recorded for everyone to see for all time. The double-edged sword of that is it, the reason that works is because no transaction can ever be altered. So once a transaction is confirmed, it is there for all time. So if I stole money from you and I got it and the transaction was confirmed, there's really no way for you to get it back yeah. unless you can get law enforcement to find me and put me in jail and, and you know but i mean and if you're in another country uh, good th- luck with that right yeah <laughs> good luck with that right so you know the kind of thing you're talking about it's it's slightly different in in the bitcoin world 
Well, I'm just saying, let's say I, I, I want to buy a good or service. You, let's say you're in another country, and I want to buy, uh, let's say, a masterpiece of art, which is worth you know, mm-hmm. a lot of money. And I send you the money, and you don't send me the art, or you send me the art, and it's counterfeit or whatever, uh, you know. So, Joe, yeah. you're bringing up a really well, uh, good point, which is that the way that all cryptocurrencies work today is not quite up to scratch in terms of what we've come to expect from the financial system, mm-hmm. right? So customers expect, like you're talking about, Joe, they, they expect the ability to do a chargeback if the merchant mm-hmm. fails to deliver. Mm-hmm. Uh, they expect these kinds of things. And so something that one of the reasons that I work for Dash in particular is that you can actually do this on a blockchain with a lot of development work. So if we can think of Bitcoin as like the Model T Ford, Mm -hmm. the first one, the one that laid out the, hey, like this is a good way for a particular type of technology to be set up. And what we're seeing come after it, both in Dash and in many other cryptocurrencies, is like the Teslas by comparison, Mm -hmm. which is you can do a lot more. And so something that is going to be explored in Dash in the years to come is what we call a moderated payment, which is to say, if Richard and I, if Richard is going to send me some fancy art from Europe, and it's very important to me that there's the possibility of me getting my money back if he turns out to Mm -hmm. be a scammer, uh, that's something we're looking to be able to offer within Mm, Dash. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I would say too, uh, don't buy valuable artwork from people you don't know or trust or are reputable. Yeah, whether you're using, bit, whether you're <laughs> using Bitcoin, Bitcoin like, or money. Well, you know, it, it exactly. could be even don't so. Do that. Yeah, but yeah. it could be Sotheby's or Christie's. I mean, you may a lot of these uh, counterfeit pieces have even you fooled the uh, the experts. So I'm just saying. Or, yes, or, they have. Or but what, I mean, like you know, or whatever good or don't, service. Don't I'm, buy valuable artwork from somebody you don't know and trust. Right, but I'm just saying, even whoever the person is, and uh, you know, whatever the good or service, I'm just saying the accountability and having a third party amount. Like she says, a mediator or moderator, uh, that would be a good thing. So, Amanda, question. How how did you get interested in cryptocurrency? I have been interested in money since I was a kid. Just like my daughter. Yeah, really. (laughs) Um, And in early 2013, similar to Paul's exposure, actually, in early 2013, I was contacted just by a friend, uh, a friend who works at the Foundation for Economic Education, actually, Mm -hmm. which I also find interesting. He contacted me and said, have you heard of Bitcoin? And I said, you know, I think I saw something on Facebook the other day that looks a lot like it's something from Dungeons and Dragons, and maybe only my teenage brother would be interested in it. That would not be me. But he said, no, you know, I really think it could be a type of money someday. And he sent me some, and I thought it was the weirdest thing ever. Mm -hmm. I didn't touch the wallet app for six months. I thought it was crazy. Mm -hmm. But then um, I was asked to go and speak about it with this friend of mine at a conference in Las Vegas. Me, a total noob. Mm -hmm. And so just to save myself from embarrassment, I began studying it. Mm -hmm. And in so doing, I actually got pretty interested. Paul, let me ask you a question about the New York, and maybe Amanda has a question, uh, a thought as well. But the, the, the Wall Street futures aspect of this, now you've got these side bets going on with regard to cryptocurrencies. Did uh, where do we stand mm-hmm. on where do we stand on that? Is that still being embraced by the SEC or any issues with the re- regulatory agencies or? 
Well, I mean, the, the futures market, uh, two, two Wall Street firms out there in Chicago, they're not really, you know, Wall Street in the, the metonym sense of the word, mm -hmm. uh, CME and CBOE started selling Bitcoin futures contracts. So th those markets exist, you know, now you have uh, options traders, futures traders can now bet for or against Bitcoin. So those, those exist, those were uh, approved by the regulators. You still have a question about Bitcoin ETFs. Uh, the SEC is, you know, has has rejected a couple of early ones and has, has made it pretty clear that they're going to have a high bar to approving a, a Bitcoin ETF. And of course, there's also a question about why you even need a Bitcoin ETF if you can buy the underlying asset directly right. and easily yourself. That's an exchange traded um, fund. As far as mm -hmm. other regulations, I mean, you know, regulators not only here but but overseas too. Are they're still trying to grapple with all the implications of this for their markets? What mm -hmm. does all this mean? Mm -hmm. And it's something that maybe two years ago, three years ago, was sort of a theoretical question for them, but but now is not. I mean, it, this is growing. The interest in it is growing. So you see, regulators in every country are coming to address it, and some are embracing it. In Japan, they put in some, you know, fairly standard. They standardized it. They put in some rules around it, and you saw trading there take off. In Korea, they're trying to figure out exactly what they want to do with it. They they think they they're kind of you know worried about the bad aspects of it, but there's a lot of demand for it. Uh, China, totalitarian state, naturally kind of cracked down on it. Mm -hmm. And in the U.S., I think the U.S. is a pretty enlightened attitude towards it overall. Mm -hmm. uh, regulators are trying to balance consumer protections with technical innovation. And you're you're going to see this play out over the next couple of years. But I think one thing that is clear is that there there is interest in this. Yeah. And because there is interest in this, you're probably going to see the regulations fall in in some manner towards allowing it. How about, fact, well, what's interesting to me, to there's, you're not going to see anybody how about the litigation in a developed part? nation just try to well, outlaw Joe, this completely. Joe, there's this thing called the depository. Uh, I'm fairly confident saying that. But I wanted to ask this thing called the Depository Trust and Clearing Corporation, which basically regulates the settling of trades in this country. You know, we have a market where a lot of people would say that the market is not transparent enough. And so I would argue that blockchain would probably improve transparency, yet the regulatory agency in this country only wants to be able to use blockchain if ever to settle trades not to actually execute them because there's so much pressure from the powers that be to keep things non-transparent in terms of traditional marketplace applications so t to me there's a great irony um, that's going to be explored in this country well, you know richard if i can point out yeah. something that just came out today actually uh i'm I'm that there may be a sort of change in the tide in that uh, the National Renewable Energy Labs, mm -hmm. the NREL, right. um, has just announced that they will begin testing micropayments okay. on the Dash blockchain okay. in terms of actual like energy right. specific payments. Mm -hmm. Right, exactly. Yeah. Where, so. yeah, where do we stand with litigation or legislation right now federally? Uh, do we have anything that's uh, on the horizon or, or has been uh, determined already um, in, in that regard, Paul, with regard to cryptocurrency? Um, oh, and litigation? Well, I'm, not, I'm not sure what you're... Well, has there been any lawsuits over this yet? Well, I mean, there have been individual lawsuits. You know, I mean, people have, have sued companies. I mean, Mt. Gox collapsed in 2014, and there were all kinds of lawsuits, and they're still running through those. 
uh, early miners have gone bankrupt and got law. I mean, yeah, there have been a lot of individual lawsuits like that, but, mm-hmm. you know, there's nobody trying to, to sue Bitcoin because, like we said before, there's no Bitcoin Inc. to sue. Right. That's my question. And Joe, um, to touch upon what you had asked about a bit earlier in terms of futures contracts and and derivatives and things. So while those aren't taking place so much in the legacy markets, they're actually taking place in full force on online cryptocurrency exchanges. Mm. I remember I was surprised to find this out roughly a year and a half ago that there are full-fledged, sophisticated derivatives markets taking place on online mm. exchanges. Mm. But I am convinced, Joe, and yeah. I'm speaking as a CPA, that, yeah, that, but we, that we, blockchain will bring much more transparency. We're going to get in the blockchain in the second half, though, Richard. So anyway, Paul, can you stick around you or do you have presently? to go? Yeah, I can stick around. Okay, yeah, wonderful. We'll be back with Paul Vigna, Wall Street Journal, and Amanda Johnson, uh, cr- cryptocurrency expert right after this. Hang on. Winning It's Your Money and Your Life. And this is the time where Richard likes to thank our sponsors. Big thank you to our sponsors. Couldn't do the show without them. Very grateful for their support. Michael Caranta with UBS at the top of the list. Right behind him. Well, actually, we have two groups of CPAs because we love CPAs. And yes, you guys, blockchain may affect you dramatically. But hey, we got Jason Kruger. Great CFO service. That would be Signature Analytics. Also, Polito Epic CPAs up in San Marcos. More traditional CPA firm, tax returns, financial statements, and such. Also, our great friend Joel Gruskin, Cost Segregation Initiatives, helping real estate owners improve their cash flow. It's all about cash flow with real estate. Joel Gruskin, Cost Segregation Initiatives, can help you improve that and all that extra money. You can stash it. That Mechanics Bank, great niche market bank, San Diego region, is headed up by Sean Puckett, serving wealthy families and families in the real estate business. Very hot topic lately, employee benefits, individual mandate in healthcare. How about Hub International? confused about what's going on. Neil Staley with Hub International can set you straight. Also, my good friend at the LG Experience, helping wealth advisors make heroes out of CPAs to the CPA's very best clients. Speaking of great wealth advisors, we, of course, have a great one on our show today, Jason Labor, but also Paul Hines. Paul, of course, heads of Hearthstone Private Wealth Management, and he is also the catalyst behind SeniorSafeAndSound.org helping to prevent the financial abuse of the elderly. Brenda Geiger, Geiger Law Office, asset protection and estate planning. There may not be an estate tax once the Republicans, Republicans get through with tax reform, but asset protection will always be important. Brenda Geiger and Geiger Law Office. And, of course, Elite Lifestyle Management, Michelle St. Clair, a great concierge company, helping those of us who have no time get things done from simple things like travel arrangements to more complicated things like well, getting Joe and Richard and Mary into the hottest ticket in Hollywood with the movie premiere back in September. That would be for the Battle of the Sexes. That was a lot of fun, right, Joe? Absolutely. And, of course, we have so many great loyal listeners. Many of them actually skip dinner just to listen to Jason's show at 6 o'clock and our show at 7. <laughs> They're getting hungry by now, so we can help there too, right, Joe? Absolutely. There's uh, Lestat's Coffee House, open 24-7, 365. Uh, locations on Normal Heights, University Heights, new one on University Avenue. Uh, great people watching, great food. And also the Very Good Food Foundation, headed up by Michelle ciccarelli Lyrac, uh, with great broadcasting pro- programs throughout the year and great foodie programs as well. And I know many of these um, sponsors have been working with you with for many years with great success, right, Richard? Yeah, it's been so long we define it <coughs> in decades. Yes, as absolutely. opposed to years. Also, wanted to thank 
Courtney Holst with PopX Graphics, who does such an amazing job on our award-winning website. Absolutely. It's IYMoney.com, and there's a sponsor tab at the top of the page. You can learn about any or all of our sponsors and how they can help you in your life and business. All right, so we're back with Paul and Amanda, all about cryptocurrency. And um, where did we leave off last time? I was talking about transparency, the thing that's fascinating to CPAs, this boring certified public accountants, in terms of how our profession is going to change, is the fact that blockchain is supposed to bring more transparency to the financial world than do traditional models. So we're which, getting beyond cryptocurrency. We're, right, going we're getting back to blockchain. I realize okay, that. But, but, but the point is, is that these kinds of new currencies, in my humble opinion, are more transparent than existing systems, those that are supported by this blockchain technology. In other words, the audit or the attest function, it's, it's apparent the, the, the minute or the second a transaction happens instead of an auditor having to go in after the fact to look at something to make sure it wasn't changed. And I'd love people to comment just on that general comment that I've made that, that it's supposed to be, make things more transparent, not less. Sure. So the so when you talk, Richard, about um, these these re- these transactions being mm-hmm. recorded forever, the the thing that I like to drive home to people is that okay, so a blockchain, right, a ledger, it takes up space mm-hmm. on your computer. Right. Uh, to give you an example of the longest running cryptocurrency, that is Bitcoin, uh, their blockchain is roughly 172 gigabytes large. Wow. All right. And that's enough okay. to slow down, you know, a, like a home computer, right? Or even crash a home computer, depending. Or maybe a whole city. Right. <laughs> so, so these pieces of software to enable these cryptocurrencies to work. A lot of people have to be willing to store a lot of data on a computer, right? Mm -hmm. Because that is the only thing that makes it a permanent record. And so something that I think is very important when anyone is evaluating these cryptocurrencies against each other, because you have to, right? There are Mm -hmm. 1500s of them, for heaven's sake. Something that is important to look at is what are the incentives within this network that can give me confidence or not that this stuff is staying up online for the long haul. Mm-hmm. Because remember, if, 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 you, if, if a network relies completely or, or rather largely on volunteers to keep that software going, once it gets into the 200 gigabytes, mm-hmm. terabyte, petabyte size of a blockchain, hey, guess what? Richard and Joe hobbyist, they might actually shut off their software because they're sick of paying you know, the increased internet bills and having mm-hmm. to buy new hardware every year. Not to mention the sustainability and energy uh, uh, costs in, in all of this. Do you want to address that a little bit, Paul? I mean, you hear about the mining now, uh, getting, getting back to cryptocurrency a little bit, but the mining aspect of this and, and the storage and the energy, it, it seems to be uh, overwhelming, isn't it? Yeah, um, you know, I'm... Um, I'm kind of a, a contrarian on that whole issue. I don't think it's that serious, actually. I mean, it's not that it doesn't take up energy and, and the mining is not, you know, it, it, it's not that it doesn't take up energy. It's that when you read a lot of these stories, one, all the numbers are estimated. So we don't actually know. We, we really, we just don't actually know how much energy it takes to, to mine one Bitcoin and all these numbers are estimates. But also, I mean, you have to look at it in contrast to, you know, everything takes up energy. I mean, it's not like Amazon, you know, their servers don't require a certain amount of energy to run. I mean, everything requires energy. So I personally think that's a, an overblown issue. I just don't think it's really that serious. Mm-hmm. You know, Bitcoin is not going to cause a global blackout because they're going to 
fry the grid. I just I think that's an overdone issue. Yeah, we, we have a greater chance of that happening because everybody in India every morning always likes to say good morning on their computers and things right. crash. Yeah, it's amazing. Hmm. Yeah. You know the the what you're talking about, Joe, has been called uh, an arms race before, mm. and first generation cryptocurrencies like a Bitcoin. Uh, will indefinitely remain in a sort of arms race because whoever has the most hashing mm-hmm. computers will make the most money. Right. Right. So that, that's just a simple fact. And so you, all the miners will always want more hashing power. And so something that we're beginning to explore a little bit in Dash is a way to not send unnecessary resources to mining to the moon. Because what if we don't need mining to the moon? We mm-hmm. probably don't need mining to the right. moon. And so what we're, we're exploring is maybe ways to tether people's hash power to their investment in Dash so, mm. that, so that there's a sort of, you know, at some point you have enough hash power, basically that kind of thing. And that gets into a whole load of security implications. But this is something that's being talked about. Mm-hmm. Well, the other question is now the, the um, cryptocurrency as an investment. I mean, Paul, and I mean, it is, uh, these are volatile, volatile prices, aren't they? Oh, yes. Uh, yeah, they're very volatile. And, you know, depending upon who you are, you may like that, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are a lot of traders that love it. And hardcore crypto traders, they relish it. And I mean, you know, you saw this in, in January and even December, there was some volatile. But in January, especially, you know, prices go down and, and everyone's saying, oh, my God, what's happening? Oh my, you know, all these people who had just gotten into it in the spring of the summer and had seen it only go up. And they're saying, what's going on? And the, the veteran crypto traders are, you know, they're like the, the grizzled army vet just smoking a stogie saying, welcome to the party, pal. You know, like. Uh, there are some people that love that volatility. I mean, that is attractive to traders. That's why a lot of Wall Street traders are interested in Bitcoin, because they like the volatility. Because if you're a pro trader, if you're one of these sharks, if you know how to you know, operate in that environment, there's money to be made. Mm, gotcha. But it's not for everybody. It is not for everybody. Uh, for retail traders, that is a really hard game to play, and it is a really easy game to get yourself burned and, in. And uh, I'm so amazed. It's um, not for everybody. You know, but I'm amazed at the relative youth of the people involved. Like um, I'm from the Bay Area, and up in maybe Amanda, you can comment. Up in Sacramento, there's like uh, Sacramento, San Francisco. There's like a whole cryptocurrency community where everybody is a young genius. Yeah, well, the millennials aren't too fond of the uh, traditional currency. Right. But Amanda, so. any, any thoughts on that? I mean, there's actually a community now in San Francisco where it's like a neighborhood of cryptocurrency uh, experts. A, a, a lot of people who are into cryptocurrency do, in fact, live in the Bay Area. And mm-hmm. speaking to the age aspect that you brought up, Richard, uh, I actually have a colleague who has a 15-year-old son. Okay. And he start he bought himself some cryptocurrency a couple of years ago yep. and held it and held it and during the most recent bull run yep. he sold and pocketed ten thousand dollars for himself that he tells his mom he is going to use to travel once he graduates from high school. Nice. Maybe even sooner. So <laughs> we have to travel right now into our break though. We're gonna be- come back with Paul Vigna and Amanda Johnson talking all about cryptocurrency right after this. Thank you very much. We are getting smart with Paul Vignes with Wall Street Journal and Amanda Johnson talking all about cryptocurrency. 
Hey, I saw some uh, a couple documentaries on Netflix. Uh, what are the ones uh, f- for people to look at that you think are the, the most comprehensive? Uh, is there anything online, YouTube, or any any good documentaries on cryptocurrency that uh, that they should be seeing? Oh, uh, well, let's see. I, uh, oh God, it's it's tough because I'm in a couple of them. I'm not trying to. Oh, I'm really? not trying to brag, but like I'm just Go I'm ahead. in a couple well, of well, them. Yeah, yeah, which which ones are you in? Let's, let's hear it. Uh, there, there's one called Banking on Bitcoin. Okay. Uh, that's on Netflix. That has become really popular, and it's not because I'm in it. It's just you know, no, it's just become us. really popular. It's, it's okay. the only reason it's I good. watched it. It's good. But, yeah. uh, there's another one called The Rise and Rise of Bitcoin. That is also well done, and I'm in that one too. And I'm not pushing people to watch these, you know. Uh, but there are others, and there will probably be more. I mean, as as this subject goes on and, and grows, there's obviously a lot of interest, and so you're getting a lot of documentarians are trying to jump in and tell this story. And there are, you know, you guys mentioned my books earlier, and I thank you for that. But there are a lot of books about this too. There are a lot of good places to get information there. Mm-hmm. And Amanda, what what documentaries are? I think that uh, the best educational resources exist on YouTube. I would recommend two videos in particular. The first one was one I saw early on. It's called How Bitcoin Works Under the Hood. I believe it has well over a million views at this point. Uh, And then I myself made a series uh, that I call Dash School. Mm -hmm. And it is a six-video series that can be watched in under an hour. And it explains how a blockchain works as though you are a five-year-old. Yeah, I um, I was watching the first one, and I came to the conclusion I'm a three-year-old. But <laughs> I'm gonna watch it again. Yeah, so, you just need to watch it again, exactly. Richard. <laughs> well, I think another part of the the controversy is the fact that these cryptocurrencies are being used for uh, in unsavory uh, characters. I mean, you've got ransomware, you've got, I mean, they're being used in let's just you know prostitution, drug deals, uh, all kinds of things. And I think just like real money. I think, um, well. <laughs> Yes and no, Richard, but I'm talking about... Anyway, this is kind of... They don't use real money in prostitution? I know, but this is... um, No, you use your credit card. (laughs) In any case, I mean, 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 it's... Yeah, but an international... I'm talking ransomware, Richard, and and things like that. That's different than prostitution. Well, it's it's a crime. I'm I'm saying the criminal element involved with all this and the the dark web, uh, it kind of uh, puts it in a... Do you know the criminal element moves to any place they can make money? But I'm just saying the cryptocurrency, it had, don't you agree, Paul, it's taken on, if they can get away from the, that, that connotation uh, uh, for where it's been, been used most, um, I think that's... Well, I, look, I think it, it, it's important to note that does that stuff, you know, is it used in ransomware? Is it used in online drug trading? Is it used for some illicit stuff? Yes. Is that the majority of what is done in in Bitcoin currency terms? No. Um, do do malefactors always find new technologies and and use them to ex, you know, exploit them? Yes. I mean, in the 20s, it's really interesting. If you look back in the history, in the 20s, uh, criminals started using cars, and mm-hmm. you had an, an actual arms race in automobiles because criminals were using them, and cops needed to get on top of that. So you're always going to have this friction where the underworld is going to, you know, latch onto a new, new technology, but it is not the it is not the majority of what is done in Bitcoin. And also, uh, there's a guy named Ross Ulbricht, who I'm sure Amanda knows that name, and, and some of your listeners probably do, who was running one of those online drug bazaars called the Silk Road. 
And what happened with Ross was he was, you know, you, you used Bitcoin on the Silk Road and the authorities convicted him because once they figured out who he was in the real world and once they executed a warrant and arrested him, they got control of his laptop and on his laptop was the Bitcoin record of every single transaction that he had been involved in. And when they had that, they had ironclad evidence that they could present in a court of law. And that is how he got convicted. And, so, he, and he's in jail for yeah, life, criminal right? Can use it, they can use it, but they are running a risk. Because yeah. like we, as we said at the beginning, this is an open ledger. It is a complete publicly viewable transaction history. So it, for, yeah, for criminals, um, it is a double-edged sword yeah, it's as not well. Like, um, it's not like it's QuickBooks where you can change the journal entry after the fact. Right. Okay. Yeah. No, you cannot. All right, so as far as acceptance of the currency, I mean, when Amazon accepts it, I think then game's game over. But, but, uh, let, but let me ask Amanda a question, though, about acceptance. So, Amanda, let's assume that I want to start my own currency. We'll call it IY Money Coin. I, can I do that easily? Sure you can. But what you cannot do easily is create a network of people who right. want to run your code for you. Right, understood. Right. Mm -hmm. okay. So you need some kind of traction with a, month, a, a group. But my question is... Well, I've got 27,000 people on LinkedIn. Some of them will be interested. Yeah. Well, so, shoot. So my question <laughs> is, when when is it going to be used in retail and stores in, 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 the, in the U.S. in regular, uh, regular transactions or the normal transactions that we see every day? Is, so, that, is that coming? I think what we're going to see, Joe, is... Retailers are going to start accepting cryptocurrencies en masse, meaning they won't choose just one, particularly not Bitcoin at this time, mm -hmm. as it costs around, depending on the day, between $20 and $50 to send any amount of Bitcoin anywhere. Okay. So on, on bad days, to send $10 worth of Bitcoin somewhere costs you $50. So that's why merchants like Dell and Microsoft and Steam Games have dropped the Bitcoin payment option in the past because it's so expensive. Mm. So I think what we'll more likely see is more of these uh, payment options, like uh, payment processors, basically. Like, what payment processor does your company use mm -hmm. to accept credit cards? Oh, Stripe or this mm -hmm. or that. I think it's these payment processors which will start incorporating cryptocurrencies. Mm. And that's when we're going to see the real winners start to come to the fore because people will want to pay in the cheapest crypto sure. that they can. Interesting. And Amanda, by the way, what's your website? Uh, yeah, that's dash.org. Dash.org. Okay. okay. Um, well, as far as uh, the federal government, what's their position? I mean... Are they ready well, to embrace? Well, they're back in business. Well, Richard, <laughs> yeah. are they, Paul, are they ready to accept Bitcoin as a, as a form of currency that they're able to, uh, I guess, tax? Uh, tax? I, I mean, no. No. Uh, what, what you're going to see is, it's interesting, because what you saw in Japan, what their federal um, securities regulators did was, they, like I said earlier, they put in rules around Bitcoin. And what they did was they didn't recognize Bitcoin as a currency. It's not equal to the yen, but they recognized it as a payments method. Mm -hmm. So they gave it a legitimacy. Uh, here in the U.S., you see a lot of different federal agencies putting in their own rules around it. Uh, the IRS, which had to figure out what is Bitcoin for tax purposes, they determined that it is property. And that's why you have to pay a capital gains tax on mm -hmm. Bitcoin now, assuming that you're paying your taxes on Bitcoin. <laughs> uh, the SEC has to determine how they're going to deal with it as a security. The Commodities Futures Trading Commission has to figure out how they're going to deal with it as a commodity. So you're seeing a lot of different federal regulators kind of take their piece of the pie and, you know, kind of address the, the portion of it that involves them. Mm. You, you haven't seen the federal government, and you also have state regulators coming out, too. I mean, New York State mm -hmm. 
Department of Financial Services has, has been very uh, proactive, some would say, um, uh, authoritarian or dipl di uh, dictatorial, others would say. But, you know, you've seen a lot of um, – You've seen a lot of regulators on the state and federal level kind of take on their piece of it. Mm -hmm. I don't think you're going to see the Congress of the United States come out with a law about Bitcoin and say mm -hmm. this is currency or this isn't currency. But let me ask you, if, if the U.S. Treasury and the central banks flexed their muscles collectively globally and wanted to wipe out uh, cryptocurrency, could they do it? That no. would have happened a long time ago. That would have happened a long, I'm just long saying, time ago. I'm just saying if they wanted to, could they? No. 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 Okay. No they way. could try. I mean, they could try, and they could make it harder to do business with Bitcoin, and they could make it more inconvenient, certainly for Americans. Uh, but they can't, like, they can't, they can't shut it down. Like we said at the beginning, this is this is an open source software project. It is run on computers around the world. It is decentralized. There's no one point at which you could apply pressure and shut it down. I guess so. it's like trying to shut. Remember when Bush was in office, they wanted to shut down the entire Internet for security and, and rebuild it for security purposes. And it was impossible to do because yeah. it's, it's yeah, they, they, they couldn't do it. Yeah. They could make it more inconvenient to use. Yeah. They couldn't yeah. shut it down. Al Gore just would have invented another one. So. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, right. Anyway, we're uh, we're in the home stretch here. Uh, we wanted to thank you very much for being our guest, Paul Vigna in, in New York with The Wall Street oh, Journal. Appreciate it, Amanda. Thanks for coming down. Uh, San Diego. Amanda Appreciate Johnson, it. cryptocurrency expert with Dash. Thank you very much, Richard yeah, Misio. Great. You guys got to fly me out to San Diego. You Come got on, it. You got Come it. Come on out. New York. You got it, Richard Misio. We're only seventy-five today. All right, Richard. Great oh, seeing you, Justin. Me. Justin Hart, our board operator. Thanks for making Santra. Thanks to Craig Blanke and Dave Sniff here at KFMB for all their help. All these podcasts are commercial free on iymoney.com. See you next time. Bye. -bye.